This is Paul Nobles from Eating Form. And once again, I am here for a lifetime power hour. This is with our clients that are lifetime members. And usually these are a little bit more advanced questions. This time we did ask for questions ahead of time, but anyone can feel free to throw questions in chat if they want to talk about uh, anything that is pressing. Uh, we do have a number of really cool questions set up and ready to go, but a uh, couple housekeeping things. One, um, per usual, we have Carolyn Melee. Carolyn is one of the lead coaches here at Eat Perform. And then we have Becky Ibarra. Becky is the director of coaching here at Eat Perform. And so, yeah, a lot of lot of knowledge um, on this call. And uh, the other thing that uh, is happening right now, kind of in a small way, um, we, I already see a couple people that have signed up, but uh, we just opened up e Form Health. If you haven't received a notice, um, there is probably a reason for that. Uh, the we we're just starting it off really small, um, just to try and you know work through just the initial growing pains, which there may not be any, there may be a lot, we just don't know, and so um, that's pretty exciting because for the first time, it's really going to allow us more of a proactive approach to health rather than a reactive approach to health, and I've been saying it for podcast for the last couple months here, knowing that this was coming, that uh, one of the holes we've always known is, uh, you know, for some people, the ability to have access to hormone replacement. There's uh, a lot of people that think they can just go to their primary care physician and just say, hey, I need hormones. That ain't how it works. <laughs> um, they're going to fight you virtually every single step of the way in most cases um, because it's not typically going to be covered uh, through insurance. The only stuff that is covered through insurance, uh, which once again is not a lot, the problem that you run into is that it's not optimal, it's not best. So like, for instance, one of the things for men is they'll give you like these huge shots of testosterone all at once. And then when you add in like all the half-lives, not only are you not getting the effect that you need, but it can actually be more harmful not doing it the correct way. Like for me, you know, the, the, the best way is to do it you know, almost daily in small doses because you're going to get the best response. Most people land at about three or four. I'm at three um, where you take it, you know, you, in my case, I sell for the jack um, three times a week. And it's very similar to like taking insulin or something. But like I said, it's more proactive rather than reactive. And so everyone will have access to that soon. Um, really excited. Have a have a real cool group uh, that have been with us forever. 
that have signed up. So um, we're really looking forward to being able to customize things in a way that we've never done. Uh, well, not never done. In fact, we're about to talk about one of the ways that we customize things. Um, but it's a whole different idea, right? Um, you know, when you look at the cycles that we have right now before in six weeks, even, you know, six to eight weeks, those took years upon years to develop what the right mix was, right? And so now when you're introducing all these other things, um, two great examples. Um, one, if you are looking at, you know, something, well, one great example, um, if you're looking at hormone therapy as an example, um, with the hormone therapy, your coach is going to recommend that you're in PR the whole time, right? Because otherwise, what happens, this is what happens, is people assume that the reason that they can't lose weight is because of their hormones, right? Which is almost always an incorrect assumption. Um, they might have a hormone deficiency, but now all of a sudden they're on hormones uh, trying to lose weight. And it's not saying that you can't do it, but it makes things that much harder. You're way better off, at least initially, and when I say initially three to six months, uh, doing hormone therapy fed, right? So you really want to be in PR. So anybody thinking about signing up, you know, not only is it going to make your 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 PR more effective, you know, in the case of of women who typically have very low testosterone, you start adding even small amounts of testosterone, and not only is there going to be more energy, but there's also going to be a better response to um, the protein that you're taking in. So now, you know, the workouts that weren't really working, you weren't seeing the results you know, those start to work. So that's a great example. Otherwise, what happens is, is you end up having a large amount of hormones needed because you don't have food and energy, right? And so you kind of get this response or even on hormones, you know, not doing well, but partly because you're doing it the wrong way, right? So um, those are things that we can bring to the table that not everyone understands. So really excited about that. Really think that that's gonna be a big part of the future of Eat to Perform. And so um, really happy to work with the initial group. All right, so we're gonna get into questions, but the first question that we have is why do the days undulate? And uh, when the days undulate, What's the reason for it, especially when you are in PR? Okay, so what you need to understand um, is that we desperately believe in the concept of the undulating days, so much so that we, we probably lost about half of our customers when we introduced it. Uh, but we knew it was the better way to do things, right? And what was happening is, is, especially very early on, is people would get one number and more often than not, you know, they weren't really even following the plan. 
Um, it wasn't allowing for a better adaptation response. But the person that we were working with at that time um, was a gentleman by the name of Mike Nelson. Mike is probably the expert on metabolic flexibility. And I just want to step back for just a second because we've had um, a handful of PhDs that we've worked with over the years. Um, and the current one, obviously, most people know is Susan. Uh, Mike was an expert in metabolic flexibility, which is basically where you push the majority of your carbohydrates around your workouts and then you uh, rely mostly on fats when you are not uh, working out, right? And so very early on, we, you know, this was metabolic flexibility at this point is really kind of a, a hypothesis, right? But we were like, well, we can uh, improve, uh, improve or approve things uh, I'm sorry, it's very early on a Saturday morning. We can prove that this works by using our client group. So very early on, it was not uncommon to get like 50 grams of carbohydrates on a low day and 300 grams of carbohydrates on a high day, right? And what we found when we did that was it was just too big of a of a swing you know one if you're not familiar with the role of carbohydrates in your body you know it does hold water in your body so what would happen is is you would have the huge days where you flush out kind of all the water in your body which by the way all your friends are keto and you know they're talking about the magic of keto the great magic of keto is that you lose a lot of water, especially early on, which is very motivating initially, but you also lose energy. Um, you don't have energy in your muscles. You're not necessarily going to want to work out, things of this nature. But, you know, if, if I was to say to someone, you know, that works out, you know, if you look at most of your friends that are keto and work out, one, they're relying on um, caffeine, and uh, um, stimulants in general to work out. And most of them are working out at about 50% at best, right? Even if you're doing it slow and controlled workouts because you know your muscles need that energy and they need that water held into your body. You know, you, one thing most of us know is you do not want to be dehydrated working out, right? And so... Um, that's a great example. And so what would happen was, is we would have these people that would have these huge flushes. Um, but it was just like, it, it would take two or three days to recover from what ultimately was not as good of an approach, right? Now, this was before the app, before train sheets, before anything. This is just people in a forum talking and this was the approach that we were taking. The other thing that was happening, um, and this was the most important thing about the undulating days, um, and the undulating days means the, the low, medium, high, super days, right? Um, is that we didn't really have a defined way of doing it. 
So what would happen is, is people would choose, right? And I mean, we literally would have questions like, I ran a 10K today. Is that a medium day, right? I mean, that was common, you know? And so you'd have, you know, people that would eat 50 grams of carbohydrates five, six days a week, you know? Um, and so it was sort of missing the point of the program. And what we realized was that we would never, people would never see the success of eating the form because they were never doing eating the form. They were just eating low calorie, right? Um, low calorie and relatively low carb, which at that time, the culture was keto and paleo um, and, and still even recovering from like the Atkins stuff back in the days, right? And so when you look at what, you know, all of you are experiencing, um, that pro we probably had, you know, 40 iterations of that before we landed on this. And we've been doing this version for, I would say, seven years, maybe six years. Um, of the 10 years that we've existed. So we're pretty, we're pretty confident um, in this approach and uh, in, in getting people results. And, and, and part of the advantage, of course, you know, the, a lot of people say, well, you know, it's not around my workout. So therefore, you know, uh, how, how do we address that? So the way that most programs do it um, is you're eating relatively low calorie most of the time, right? So you're eating 1,100, 1,200 calories. It takes up to 24 hours for nutrients to load and be useful in your muscles in the first place, right? So when you just add 20 grams of carbohydrate and 10 grams of protein around your workouts, you didn't really do anything. The only thing that you've done in that instance is you know, in a lot of ways, what you see is people are chasing that rabbit, right? Um, where the rabbit is, you know, having that little snack around your workouts so that you can, you know, have a little treat or whatever. Um, but it's also designed to give you acute energy, right? Well, when you look at the way that we do it, both the tiered approach and the undulating approach, you're not, you know, um, eating super low calorie the good majority of the time, right? So you have energy. So, so a lot of people that go, well, um, you know, I don't have my carbohydrate days, you know, on my workouts, you know, can I still work out, you know? Well, like I said, it takes 24 hours for it to load in the first place. The majority of people are not super low carb unless you're, you know, really at the end. And even that is, you know, it's it's doable compared to, you know, approaches that existed in the past, even through the form. Um, and I mean, let's be real, you know, you're you're there is a certain amount of stuff that happens with any you know, kind of fat loss. And so, you know, what we're doing is sort of managing the suck, but allowing you to have enough carbohydrates the majority of the week 
so that you have more energy to do the things that will allow you to be even better at fat loss. Um, kind of a side question of this, maybe most people wouldn't think of it this way, but uh, when you are in fat loss, you almost certainly should be doing at least two to three days of resistance training. So you go, well, why? You know, why is that important? And when I say resistance training, I don't necessarily mean CrossFit. doesn't mean don't do CrossFit, don't do HIIT. But you really want slow and controlled so that you can keep the muscle that you have or keep as much muscle as you have right now. Because when you're in a deficit, you're very susceptible to losing um, muscle. And you go, well, you know, is that true? Is that really going to happen? The way that muscle loss happens is gradually over time. So if you're in like a, a, a three-month cut, you know, when you look at, you know, the, the overall length of maybe three and a half months, yes, that's exactly how you become sus um, susceptible to muscle loss. And so you have to do as much as you can to kind of keep it as you go. And that can be really frustrating for some people because what happens is in that instance is you're not going to lose the maximum amount of weight, right? Because you're holding water because you have carbohydrates in your diet most of the days. And so while you are holding on to muscle, while you're possibly building some lean tissue, um, your body becomes more efficient, more insulin sensitive rather than insulin resistant um, in that phase. Um, if you just did, you know, super cardio for that three and a half months, you become much more susceptible to losing muscle. So that's all a part of the equation. That's why it happens. The other thing, and this kind of happened by accident, um, is that because of the way that we do it, we can actually predict your lowest weight. Now, once again, <laughs> this gets into one of those questions where people go, well, my weight is not the lowest on um, the day that you're suggesting, which is the morning of your super day, typically. So while that may be true for some of you, the great majority of you, it is true, right? Um, now, if you're in fat loss, and you know you're in a deficit. One, the the way things kind of work, you know, are pretty ingrained, right? So it's that time where kind of all hell will break loose, and you might be your lowest weight on a medium day, or you know, it's it's a different time. But it works really, really well when you're in PR and you're sticking to the plan. And so if your goal, because the original question is, why do I have to do this when I'm in PR? It's because your coach won't know how to make an adjustment if they don't know how you're responding to that plan. That's, that's kind of one of the things that we figured out over the years, um, like I said, sort of by accident that we could predict your lowest weight for the week um, e even if even if it isn't on 
you know, that particular day, we're at least seeing how you're responding to the plan. And so, you know, one of the things that I think, you know, as coaches starts to get really frustrating is that many of you compare your highest weight within a week to the most weight you lost rather than your lowest weight. So like the best way to do it is to compare high to low, right? And so I know mentally that's not what you want to do because you want to have your cake and you want to eat it too. I get it, right? Like that's fine. You know, but I'm saying if you were a coach, that's how you would do it, right? So I can't tell you how many people have gone, oh man, I've only lost seven pounds. This is so frustrating. And then we look and the person lost 12 pounds, right? Because we're comparing high to low. We're seeing how they're responding to their lowest day. And, you know, when are they most frustrated about the weight? It's when they're, you know, it's going to be the day after their super day or, or something of that effect, right? And so, um, you know, when you're looking at why a super day exists or, or why medium days exist, it's so that your body, you know, is not having these drastic fluctuations, right? And what you'll normally see is that your weight's going to be the highest after your super day, and you should be spending the rest of the week uh, getting to that lowest number. That's how the undulation is designed, right? And and so you then you go, well, why, you know, it's so frustrating because I'm so motivated by, by fat loss. We actually talked about this on the last podcast, you know, um, you know, a lot of us are motivated from negative places, you know, good and bad foods. It's hard to kind of shake some of those messages that we've gotten from the nutrition industry for a long, long time, right? And so uh, what ends up happening is people are not motivated by the period where they should be motivated, where they're not dieting, right? And they're really pushing the limits of muscle building and energy and things of that nature. But that's the period where they kind of let go of the reins a little bit. And that's why, you know, you end up, like for instance, you know, people go, well, I, you know, I followed the plan for nine months and, you know, here I am seven pounds heavier than my lowest, right? And so Becky will go in and look at their file and she'll go, okay, well, the, here's the four times where you weren't following the plan that, you know, kind of put you in this position, not in a blaming way but as a, a way of kind of, because what people, see, this is what people actually want, right? What they actually want is to have like these weekends away or vacations or things of this nature. And then they want to eat as little as possible because that's what they did in the past, right? That's how they manage their weight. But what they didn't realize is that a lot of those moments were actually somewhat favorable in terms of metabolism. And so that's what we end up working towards for those individuals. And so, you know, when you look at, and I talked a little bit about this in the last podcast, 
where when you look at how to build muscle, when you look at how to push things more favorably from a metabolism standpoint, you know, you're going to have to regain a little weight in most instances. People say, well, what if I don't want to regain weight? Well, then you're going to have to put in a great deal of effort, right? Um, you can always control things with the effort. The reality is that most of us make a compromise in terms of exercise or, you know, weight gain or whatever. Um, the reason why we have coaching is so that when you're up three to five pounds or seven pounds or 10 pounds or whatever it is, that we're still keeping you in check, right? We're still, you know, there's none of this, I gained 40 pounds stuff, right? Um, and so uh, that's a big part of the undulating. And then, of course, there's there's streams that kind of exist around that. Um, and that's sort of what we're talking about. But, you know, is it realistic to, you know, not gain weight in PR and, you know, have this really rigid approach to PR and, and all that? Sure. You know, it is. But is that really what you want from life, right? Is that really the goal of all of this? And I would argue that it isn't. And, and that's why I don't have any problem. I'm, you know, I'm probably a little bit more aggressive than most of you are, um, but I still have to fight those messages. And um, I don't necessarily love uh, going into fat loss. I think that's the motivation for a lot of people where they go, well, you know, if you had just put my macros at 1,500 to 1,700, I wouldn't have gained weight. First of all, that's not necessarily true. You don't know that um, because your body adjusts to that number. So the vacation still happens. The weekends at Nana still happens, right? So now you're more prone to store fat in that moment because your body is at 1,500. So when you give it 3,000, you're going to see a more acute response, right? The biggest protector of your metabolism and your weight overall is calories being higher most of the time, right? And people don't want that because they want to be able to go off plan, do whatever they can to get back when in reality, most of it's just water, right? Um, and then they become much more much less likely to build muscle, hold on to muscle, and they kind of under eat most of the time. And then what happens is they are at an average of 1,500 to 1,900 calories. And then they go to Carolyn and say, I really need to do fat loss. And she's like, you're not ready, right? Because you've kind of stayed in this kind of self-limiting place when you could have been over here allowed yourself a little bit more freedom, maybe not as much freedom as, you know, um, we're all inclined to do, right? Because, you know, you want to you wanna have, look, fit people make compromises in life. That's just is what it is, you know? Um, when you see ultra fit people online, what you have to ask yourself is what are their motivations, right? Um, you know, for, you know, uh, high level influencers, their motivation is their money. You know, for a lot of people, their motivations are their disorders, right? Um, 
So you have to kind of keep in mind a lot of these things as you go, but you have to also keep food freedom as kind of a main tenant. Um, we do have questions. Carolyn's got those um, those uh, queued up, but we also have some questions in chat that I see, but maybe maybe they're not. So, Carolyn, you yeah. want to read those off? Yeah, the one in chat was just um, Tara was asking. Um, she was saying, I know that you're trying to start small with the ETP Health. But even if I can't sign up, I would love more information on the program. Um, Becky's going to get some information into the sales team so that we have that for clients who are interested in it. Yeah, um, for sure. So time out. I just want to say right now, that's only open to lifetime clients um, because it's a long-term approach, right? And there's trial and error that needs to happen with that, right? Um, talk to anyone that is on any type of HRT and what you will find is that those people um, are you know it's it's not a linear approach right um, in, in a lot of ways it's it it really mirrors the approach of you know kind of getting your nutrition right Okay, so but we anybody have that's a, I bet, but anybody that's a lifer, if you want in, you can be in. In the US. In the US, sadly. Um, okay, Amy's asking in the Facebook questions. Um, Amy asks an advanced question. When it when it's time to cut, when it's time to build muscle in transitioning between the two, when is the best time? So is that a question from chat or is that a question? Okay, yeah. Um, so the best time, of course, is when calories are in abundance, right? Not necessarily over consuming, but you know, I would say for women, that number is some version of 2,500. For men, that number is, is probably 3,500, um, definitely over 3,000, right? Um, because you can't, you know, it's interesting, you know, we've been talking a lot about, uh, you know, this new class of weight loss medications and things of this nature, right? And there's a lot of non-responders, right? And you go, well, why are these people not responding? I mean, you know, they're eating you know, 800 to 1,000 calories in some instances, right? Everybody's bragging about the fact that they're eating nothing. Um, well, it's because they were eating nothing before, right? And even if you were eating 1,500 calories before and you go down to 1,000, it's just not, not enough, right? And nobody's taking medications, which, you know, I would argue... You know, once again, this is going to be this is going to be us kind of laying the path for a place where science isn't there yet. You know, um, and most of the science has been based around you know FDA studies that are long-term studies of, of sixty-eight weeks or more, right? So these medications have been you know being tested over the last ten years, right? These are not like new medications or anything like that but 
there isn't a lot of science based on short-term studies because if you're, you know, um, the manufacturer, you know, one, uh, that's not what's being asked of you. Um, but also, why would you want that, right? You want people hooked on this stuff forever, you know. But what we've seen is that people are doing it um, cyclically, and 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 how it relates to the question is basically the people that are having the most success are the people that you would think would have the most success, right? The people that have really poor habits, right? They're very overweight and they start taking this stuff and they lose a lot of weight because they're not eating. You know, there's, there's kind of this, this narrative out there, you know, that it's the insulin resistance doing the work, which is pretty hilarious. Um, it's the appetite suppressant that's doing the work, trust me. And so, um, and it's the weight loss that is helping with the insulin resistance, not the other way around, right? Um, you know, you have to understand that you know, some of the side effects, nausea, things of this nature, you know, these are things that, um, you know, happen as you're adding food back in, right? And so, um, kind of keep that in mind as you're hearing about. So how does that relate to, to this? Well, basically what the person is asking is when's the best time to cut? The best time to cut is when your calories are high, right? Then um, I think it's a little bit personal, right? Um, for each person. Um, the reason why we do it six to eight weeks at, uh, at a time is because that gets to the point where, you know, you're kind of pushing people past the point of struggling, right? And uh, without some kind of interference, right, um, it's going to be difficult for them. So you have to ask yourself, do I have six to eight weeks here? You know, because if you think about the way most people diet, right, not many of you, luckily we've had a lot of impact on you, but most people do not, you know, um, plan their fat loss cycles, right? They just react and go, my weight is up, I need to do something. You know, that's the worst time to do anything, you know. Um, and so it's much better. Like if you think about it, if your weight's up five to 10 pounds, you know, joining a place like Eat to Perform as an example, getting a good baseline number, having that baseline number for two to three months, what's the hurry, right? Um, and And I think we all get in our head about that stuff a little bit. Uh, too much. I, I find for most people that September tends to be a good time. There's enough time between September and the holidays. Uh, if you do run a six to eight cycle, um, it does allow you to run a longer AP to make a more successful cycle, either in January or February. February, March, um, usually are big times. This is actually probably the biggest time for E to perform. Uh, you know, the great majority of people sign up for Eat to Perform from March to May um, because obviously they know they're going to be at a point really soon here where they're going to have less clothes on a lot, you know, so they want to do something about it. So that's what we see is motivating times in terms of, you know, whatever. Now, 
we have had athletes in the past where it's out of season, you know, over the holidays, maybe not the best time to do it, but it is the best time for them, right? So you have to kind of look at that uh, from your standpoint, but, um, you know, are you going to be able to get through, you know, the holidays? I think a lot of people with a reactive approach go, I have to do something right now. And then they realize they just can't get past the inundation, you know, which is one of the reasons why we believe that a AP cycle, um, which is the period where you're um, kind of pushing calories up um, in between cycles, um, is best done over the holidays, right? And so that's something to sort of keep in mind. Okay, um, another advanced topic question from Bethany. Um, she was wondering if you could speak on regular hormonal balances and how nutrition can impact these levels as we age and otherwise. Well, I mean, people, the one thing nice about this podcast is the only people that really listen to it are people that are eating performers. So, for the most part, you guys are going to take what I'm saying with the proper amount of, you know, digestion, right, from a mental standpoint. But when you look at thyroid issues, when you look at Hashimoto's, when you look at, you know, all these things that happen related to hormones, uh, low testosterone, um, progesterone, you know, like all these different issues that happen most of it you've done to yourself now that doesn't mean that nature didn't play a role in it for the longest time there was this narrative out there that when you were in menopause that you shouldn't take anything um hormone wise to kind of help with the effects of it well you know that that screwed up women for probably 20 years just that narrative um 100% if the goal is longevity of life, things of this nature. Now, does it, does it mean that, you know, when you're taking replacement, um, that, you know, there aren't risks? Of course, there, there are definitely are risks. Um, but in the last podcast, I talked about this a lot. One of the, one of the effects that you get of this is that you, one, have access to a doctor at all times, but two, you go to the doctor, you go to the, they, they send you to your primary care um, person so that, uh, you know, you're getting your regular maintenance done. Also, they won't even, like my place won't even give me anything if I don't do yearly physicals, right? And so, and because of those yearly physicals, um, I have other things that come up, like one, one example, um, my primary um, doesn't check my prostate, so I have to go to urologist. So I have a urologist appointment on the 13th. Um, and so there's a lot of little things that come up uh, uh, along the way that honestly, a lot of us put off, you know, and just having that more proactive approach, but getting to the advanced. So 
Uh, low fat will definitely mess you up. Um, typically, when you're in a, a deficit from a hormone standpoint, the hormones basically are protected by your fat, right? So having fat in abundance is a good thing or readily available. Typically, when you're trying to lose weight or get to a deficit, you kind of have to pick, right? So, so that's why some people are saying, oh, this demonization of fat, it was so wrong. And meanwhile, they're demonizing carbohydrates, you know, um, in a similar way, you know, clean eating, you know, all this other stuff. Most of these are kind of dog whistles for um, low carb. And, you know, that's also a, a net negative um, because when you look at muscle building, if you don't have enough insulin, I'm not talking about massive amounts of insulin where you're overconsuming Mountain Dew, right? But this idea of inflammation, you know, it's so funny whenever we talk about, you know, what's the one thing that you wish you knew earlier? There's always somebody that says the effect of inflammation on my body. You, you have no idea how your body is affected by inflammation. Inflammation is a normal process. What's, what's being conflated is chronic inflammation, inflammation compared to inflammation. Inflammation is where your knee's a little sore from pickleball, right? Uh, chronic inflammation is I drank too much Mountain Dew for the last 20 years, and now, you know, I have an overabundance of calories and fat as a result of it, right? And so if that's what that person is saying, is that I was overconsuming Mountain Dew or eating pizza, and I didn't know that I should be eating pizza, I think I think I think we're playing like this this game of stupidity that that it would be better off if we didn't, right? Like you know, all these people that want to believe that they're sugar addicted. I'm not saying to you that you know having you know readily accessible calories isn't you know um, something that people like. I, I like it, right? Um, same thing with nuts. Right, you can easily overconsume nuts similarly, right? Because you know, if you're hungry and sugar's off the table, what are you gonna do? Well, you're gonna really eat a lot of pistachios. So you it's really hard to kind of blunt that hunger all the time, you know, and, and not really sort of address things. And so you've got you got one side where if you're keeping insulin too low. Now, all of a sudden, you become more susceptible to things like osteoporosis, you know, uh, muscle atrophy, things of this nature. On the other side, if you go um, low fat too often, now, all of a sudden, from a hormone perspective, you know, uh, I, I, in my mind, okay, and I've had doctors take issue with me saying this, and I just honestly, I think that's a joke. You know, um, the for me to say that there is a direct line between people under consuming calories and specifically under consuming fat, you know, between thyroid issues, Hashimoto's, things of that nature, 
Um, anybody logically looking at what was going on 60 years ago would go, there's a vast difference, right? Why is there such a difference? Because we're choosing our calories. We're either choosing low carb or low fat. Why? Because we're on a diet all the time. We're always dieting, right? It gets back to the undulation thing. You know, if you're not allowing your body to push up calories every now and again, and you're constantly at one number, even at a high number, right? Um, what is going to happen is, is you're not going to get enough of the things that are positive on both sides, right? And so when you look at how people are get, getting to a deficit, you know, what people aren't talking about is why people are in deficits all the time. And that's, by the way, the, the you know, when we look at eating for health and what we're already seeing with our clients is that some people are using like weight loss medications, cyclically, things of this nature. That to me, I really believe that if, if those medications can make fat loss cycles easier for a lot of people, because one of the things that we see and we've seen over the course of the last 10 years, if you're 300 pounds, it's much more difficult to maintain low calories. Um, because through, you know, there's lots of reasons, right? But I'm going to simplify it for this one example, right? So through the hormone called leptin, right, you can you can have some deficiencies similar to insulin. Leptin is talking to your brain all the time about how much food you need to eat, right? And leptin exists in your fat. So your fat is talking to your brain about what, you know, it needs for daily fuel. So when you're 300 pounds, those conversations are sometimes getting messed up, but as you start to take away food, now all of a sudden it becomes harder and harder to follow like a macro plan, you know, when your calories need to be higher and higher and higher, um, just based on those conversations that are happening between your left and your brain, right? And so if there's something that can allow for that to happen and allow people to lose weight, that would be great. But what I think is happening right now and what we're seeing, you know, on social media and stuff like this is you're looking at basically a medicated eating disorder. If I said to all of you, hey, I'm going to put you on a plan and for the rest of your life, you're going to eat 800 calories. You in? Right. We wouldn't have a business. We wouldn't exist. Right. Yet. This is essentially what doctors are saying. And doctors, first of all, not all doctors are saying this, okay? Doctors understand that when new medications come out, there needs to be a kid gloves approach, right? And, and you know, many of the doctors that we're seeing from clients of ours are perfectly fine with the cyclical approach um, as long as they have support, right? And so... Um, that's some examples where I think are, are, are going to be, uh, positive. Um, I think that the original intent of the question is, um, 
you know, when is the best to do a cutting cycle? We already talked about calories being higher, um, the question of the hormones, right? How can we keep hormones higher? Um, these are all positive. Assuming that you're keeping your weight loss cycles acute and short, right? And you have to understand that weight loss and exercise is stress. Exercise is a good stress, especially when it's fed. It's a bad stress when it's underfed, right? Um, dieting acutely long periods of time is stress to your body, you know? So that's what concerns me about these people telling people that they're going to be eating 800 calories for the rest of their life. Right now, it seems very appealing to them. They have an acute need and they probably need to address it. But now all of a sudden, these people are, you know, if you're not familiar with it, you know, I mean, kind of depends on where you're getting the medication from. But, you know, the if you look at like Wagovi as an example, doses are around $1,400 a month. That's like people's mortgage for the rest of their life, you know. Um, and, and I'm sure it'll come down and, and things of this nature. But, you know, I just feel like the narrative around this needs to be more evolved, right? And people need to go, wait a second, this was this is what they were saying about opioids. You know, let's be careful because we don't want to, you know, I mean, we're talking about half the population, right? When we talk about BMI stats and things of this nature, I understand, you know, everybody wants to get worked up about BMI. I don't want to have the BMI discussion, right? You just say BMI and all of a sudden everybody's worked up. Well, the reality is, is that there is a standard that does exist, you know, related to obesity statistics. And it's funny because, you know, now all of a sudden people are like, I want to be my BMI to be over 30 so I can get on this medication, right? So it's it's kind of a double-edged sword. But the the reality is, is if we if we take half of the population of the United States and a great majority of the population in Canada, and many places in the world that are starting to, you know, reflect, you know, access to higher calorie foods and things of this nature, you know, you, you're talking about a lot of people that are at risk. And then, you know, it's very possible that the, the, the fix is much worse than, you know, the, the, the issue that they were initially trying to solve, right? And I know right now, you know, if you're 350 pounds and you're losing 65 pounds, right? What's, well, let's just lose 300, right? So 300, you lose 45 pounds is 15%. That's that's what the medications do, okay? So 15% gets you to 255, right? So you're a man, you're 5'9", and you're 255. You still have a problem, and now you got nowhere to go, right? Because if you're eating as a man 1,200 calories, right, and these are the things from a hormone perspective people don't consider when they're talking about deficits, and they go, "Well, you know, what's the what's the problem with in fact my testosterone is low, or what's the problem?" But, well, the problem is, is that you're going to age prematurely. Um, you, if you're open to to you know weight loss medication, as an example, you're definitely going to be open to 
every other medication, right? So now you're being kept alive, you know, but you're not your best self, right? And so we're going to create like this whole class of people that, you know, are dependent and we've taken away their power. You know, when you think about, you know, all of you and the struggles that you have eating a normal amount of food, which is over about over 2000 calories, at least I'm saving your life, right? At least we're doing the things that you need to do from the standpoint of eating enough fat so that your hormones are protected, eating enough, you know, um, carbohydrates so that uh, your muscles are protected, your, your tendons are protected, your cartilage is protected. These are all positive things that people are like, you know what though? Screw all that, I wanna lose 10 pounds. It's like, well, we're making all these decisions very cavalier, you know, like start to think about what would your 80 year old self do, right? And I think if you started to think of things that way, you'd start to make better decisions or probably not, right? I mean, the reality is, you know, the same thing that gets us to buy, you know, a $300 pair of shoes, you know, for the gym, you know, is the same thing that is wanting us to lose eight pounds in a in a deficit cycle. When in reality, you're probably just holding on, better to hold on to that eight pounds, do more work, have more energy, eat more food, you know, in moderation, of course, mostly whole foods, um, and, 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 and live a better life. You know, a lot of these people, a lot of the friends that you know that are overly rigid as it relates to their nutrition or their clean eaters or their, you know, it's not a, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle. It's like, yeah, you have a lifestyle of eating 1500 calories as a dude, you know, um, that's not going to end well, bro. Right. So we have to keep these things in mind. And, and we've all been conditioned to view food as the enemy. Right. Um, and, and food is the biggest ally you'll ever have. The other one, you know, that we say, and the minute I say it, everyone's like, no, scale is a liar. Scale is your best friend. Scale tells you the truth every single time you step on it. It's not the truth you necessarily want to hear, right? But it is data. Um, I think the problem with the majority of the scale is a liar people is they just want to lose weight all the time, right? And then when do they step on the scale? They step on the scale after the viral line and pasta on date night. So they went, you know, they, they, they had a great night. They did what couples do. And they woke up the next morning, stepped on the scale, hoped for a miracle that should not have existed in the first place. And now all of a sudden, they've become deconditioned to having a life of joy, right? And more conditioned to having a life of rigidity with a level of ignorance, right? I mean, and I say ignorance from the standpoint of the actual definition of the word. When you avoid information, you're intentionally cutting, cuddling up to ignorance. And we should all be against that, right? Um, and so from your standpoint, getting back to most of the conversation that we've had throughout this call, um, it really comes down to 
understanding that weight should be going both up and down, right? And if you're doing that, you have a high functioning metabolism. If you're not doing that or your weights stays the same all the time, you're becoming much more um, susceptible to any kind of metabolic damage on both ends, right? Um, and so kind of keep that in mind. All right, so we can end right now unless you have another really short one um, that we can cover very quickly. There, there is a quick one you can probably do here quickly um, from Kamala. Explain nutrition timing. What is it and how it can benefit you? So if you're Usain Bolt, um, nutrition timing is probably the difference between you running a 9.8 and you running a 9.75, right? Um, for you, it barely matters. Um, there's lots of studies that show, it doesn't show as an example that it doesn't have an effect, um, but it does show that it barely matters, that your body figures it out over time, especially just a, a regular person. Now, where it can matter quite a bit um, is remember when I said that the nutrients over time um, take 24 hours to load into your muscle. When, let's say that, that you work out at 11 a.m., right? And all of a sudden, everybody's telling you to work out fasted. Meanwhile, they're working out at 7 a.m., right? And they think that that's fasted. The reality is that's not fasted. They have the carbohydrates and, and, and fats from the night before. But now you're listening to that message, and now you're doing it at 11 o'clock right a, a smallish meal around 9 a.m could make a huge difference of the acute amount of energy that is available to you for that workout doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be using the carbohydrates that were stored from 24 hours ago things of that nature but um the answer is really I wouldn't be overly worried about it. The only time I would be worried about it is if you don't think you have enough energy going into workouts, build in a small little meal, snackish type meal. Um, I personally prefer a uh, mixed meal with carbohydrates, fats, and protein. Uh, a lot of people, you know, will will say you're better off with just. Um, uh, protein and carbohydrates. If you can deal with that, then that's fine. Um, most people that are a little bit older can deal with like hypoglycemia type issues. So if we know that timing barely matters, um, but acute um, energy matters quite a bit, then in my mind, what I want is something with a little bit of log on the fire and that's why I have fat in my meal. But it it really is kind of up to you. I did see a late one come in. Yeah, it's a quick one actually from Rick. Um, in PR, how concerned should we be with our sodium thinking 2000 versus 3000 milligrams of sodium? 
it's highly dependent on how you respond. Um, one of the things with sodium now, what you can't do, right? You can't you can't say Paul said, you know, I can do three thousand milligrams of sodium. Can't do that, right? Because if you're going to say to your coach, my weight's up, right? The first thing your coach is going to look at and go, you are thirty five hundred calories of, uh, or thirty five milligrams of sodium on Saturday. You have four thousand on Sunday. Um, and but the reality is is that if we're not concerned about weight we are processing it we're sweating a lot things of this nature for a lot of people it doesn't make that big of an impact the one thing i will say is that as somebody who has to keep their sodium under control for high blood pressure i would definitely be looking at that right if you're at three thousand to four thousand you're not sweating a lot your body's not processing it. One of the things that I've done actually on this trip um, to kind of um, mitigate some of those issues is being a lot smarter about uh, potassium. And so, so definitely more bananas, more avocados, more um, uh, coconut water, right, is allowing you know my body to process that sodium better. And I think in general, that's probably one of the most, like when you, so just Google sodium, or I'm sorry, Google potassium. Um, and what you're going to get is a list of all these high calorie foods, right? And so, so now all of a sudden, like, do you want, you know, chocolate or do you want avocado, right? Or do you, you know, do you want a banana or do you want pistachio? You know, um, and so, well, actually, pistachios are pretty high in potassium. Um, I know that because I eat a lot of pistachios for that reason. Um, but I also like pistachios. Um, I do unsalted, though. Um, and by the way, they're very tasty. You can get them from Trader Joe's. Um, and uh, I actually find the flavor is quite good, even without salt. Um, so kind of keep that in mind. But no, I, I, I think sodium... You know, once again, you know, why is my coach always telling me to be at 2,000 milligrams of sodium? It's not because, you know, they want you to be at 2,000 milligrams. They're fine with you being at, at 4,000 if your body handles it well. But the issue is you can't be saying in the file every other time you're, you're talking to the coach that your weight is up, what can I do about it, right? Well, there's one thing we can do about it. We know you're probably holding on to water because of, you know, uh, the overconsumption of sodium. So kind of keep that in mind. Um, but I would say that that is one of the most overrated ideas. You know, if your body can handle it, if you can stay weight stable, try and push that number a little bit, you know. But we're all conditioned, like I said, you know, to, to always gravitate towards, you know, um, the lowest weight possible, you know, um, the cleanest foods possible, you know, all these different things that that aren't serving as well, you know, and so kind of keep that in mind. All right. I appreciate everybody being here. Wish me luck on the way back home and I'll talk to you later. Bye now.